You're listening to In It Together, the podcast. I'm Arun Roth. Today is March 11th, 2021. Coming up, I'll check back in with GBH Executive Arts Editor Jared Bowen to hear how the local arts and entertainment community is holding up one year into the pandemic. But first, we'll start with the latest numbers from the state's Department of Public Health. The DPH is reporting just under 1,600 new cases of the virus and 42 new deaths. This brings a total number of cases to roughly 564,000 and the total number of confirmed deaths to more than 16,200. The seven-day positive test rate landed today at 1.72%. With me now is GBH's executive arts editor, Jared Bowen. Hey, Jared. Hi there. Great to be with you again. Always good to, to talk with you. Uh, how have you been? Holding my own. I think the, the, <laughs> the warm temperatures this week are, are just a sign of great things to come. So so pretty well. Yeah, this I'm, I'm excited about the weather and, and everything that hopefully portends. So, you know, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. But why, why don't we start off with the news right, right, right now? Uh, because... Uh, smaller performance venues have been allowed to reopen places like the, the the Wilbur. Give us a sense of what we might be seeing in in, in the near future, what it's going to look like, what the protocols, what safety is going to look like, all of that. Well, I, I think what the performing arts organizations are doing right now is, first of all, they have the confidence, I think, finally, that they can take those first steps forward because for so long, they have been wondering when they can open, what that's going to look like, what audience comfort is going to be, what vaccinations are going to look like. And we have the answers to all of those in some fashion right now. We obviously know that people are getting vaccinated. We now know uh, that at least in the state of Massachusetts, uh, clubs, theaters, smaller venues are allowed to open. But we're also hearing from some audience surveys that audiences are getting ready to come back. As soon as they have the confidence that all the precautions are being taken, they're willing to take those first steps back into venues. And we know that the way that this has been orchestrated, they won't come back at full capacity. They'll be able to create social distancing within venues. But therein lies another issue. You, you think about, well, what does social distancing mean? It means not that many seats can be filled. So theaters now have to look at the economic model behind this and how they can make viable shows. But I think that they'll figure out a way to do this in the interim, really streamlined, stripped down shows, one person shows, not the big musicals, which are inherently expensive. You don't want to do that for a number of reasons because you have the cast interacting, but you also have singing and, and projecting and, and the spray that comes from voices. But we do have, I really feel confident in the first steps back and, and maybe even something somewhat robust in the fall. Nice. Well, um, let, let, let's, uh, I want to think more about about the fall and, and the uh, and, and and the summer, but let, let let's take a moment to uh, more than a moment because it'll take more than that to um, talk about this 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 past year. I mean, it's it's been quite a year for for arts and culture, and and not just in in ways in which have been difficult. There are ways in which it certainly we've talked about ha- have have has transcended the, the limitations and and still reached us, but. When you think about the last year, what what are the what are the things that immediately come to mind for you? Well, yeah, and let me just quickly say I don't want to minimize nor and do you. I know what what has happened here. The Massachusetts Cultural Council just issued a report this week that 
more than 30,000 cultural sector employees have had their jobs impacted. That's either in layoffs, furloughs, or reduced hours. That's $30 million in lost income, 67, almost 68,000 jobs lost. We're talking about the gig economy. So this obviously has taken an extraordinary toll. But at the same time, Arun, you know, you and I have talked a lot over the last year about some of the great things to surface. And I was looking back at a list of them. And there has been wonderful innovation. You look at theater companies uh, like Arlequin Players and Needham, which we talked about, that, that put on an online show fairly early on in the pandemic that was so well done that it resonated deeply with audiences, so much so that the New York Times covered it, gave it a rave review, and then suddenly it was seen by audiences around the world. And now that company has just rocketed up into the stratosphere and they're they're having all of these really robust partnerships with people like Barishnikov. So it's what was a small, very small fringe theater company, Needham, is now an international company. That's one thing that organizations have recognized is that they now have a global audience. You see museums like the Fitchburg Art Museum, the ICA step forward and, and when they're closed, they might be closed for art but they're still open to the community. In the case of the ICA, it, it helped with a food distribution program in East Boston. In Fitchburg, they put together school supplies, art supplies for students who are at home. Uh, they put together and worked with other community members to assemble a food drive, uh, which they had any number of uh, food distribution points during weekends uh, throughout the pandemic where they had people lining up at least an hour beforehand to collect food. Uh, you have people like Paula Vogel, the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, who went back and, and was able to stage the shows she always thought should have gotten their due. She could do it online. You didn't need the infrastructure of a theater. You didn't need to have all the trappings of a big show. You just put the work out there. And I think that leads to one of the final really important issues that came out of this. We talk about the twin pandemics. Also, what has happened with the racial reckoning in this country because the arts were shuttered they perhaps more than any other institution could sit down, take the time and work through what they need to do to come out the other side to be, a, to be much more equitable in terms of their content, their staffing, their presentations, their administration, uh, because they have the time to not be distracted right now to do that. So they will probably be at the forefront of, of equity coming out of the pandemic. It's 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 kind of incredible, uh, Jared. Again, we're doing so much reflecting on, on this past year, and and we really celebrate, as we should, the the, the frontline workers who who have, you know, just done extraordinary things in, in this past year. But hearing and thinking about these uh the, these artists who, you know, obviously it's more than just a job for them, and, and they understand why why we need art, you know, and it's it's kind of incredible to 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 see the passion with which they're working to find ways to to connect with us. And and I feel almost, well, not almost, I, I feel like it's really underscored how valuable all this stuff is we talk about. Well, that's the shame of it too, is that this is not a, a country that supports the arts the way much of the world does. I think you look across Europe and they have these great halls and they have huge uh, state-sponsored funding for the arts. Here, as we know in this country, it really comes through philanthropy. It comes through individuals, ticket sales for museums and performing arts organizations only cover just a little bit of what it actually takes to present. Um, but yes, we should be supporting artists because they are the people who show us who we are. Uh, they're also the people who entertain us. 
you look at another recent survey that came out from Arts Boston just last month, 96% of Boston area arts goers cannot wait to participate in the arts again. That belies the concern that a lot of people had. Well, will it take years for people to come back into to theaters because they won't necessarily feel safe? No, people are craving it. I'm craving it. A year into this and I haven't I've hardly seen any live performances. I mean, I just feel like something has thudded to a stop in my soul. And I think that so many people feel that. Again, for what I say, we look for it for entertainment. We look for it to, to help us process who we are. We look to see ourselves played out on stage so that we can drive home with somebody or walk home with somebody and have that conversation about, God, that was me up there. Or that was you up there. That was my family up there. This is how they got through it. This is how we can get through it. We're missing all of that if we don't support our artists. And 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 in terms of the the material support, Jared, I'm I'm, I'm curious because you know we, we've uh, talked a lot on on the show over the last year uh, about um, how uh, how how this relief, how the pandemic relief that 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 has come through, uh, the little that did come through initially, has helped keep keep people afloat in various businesses that that it doesn't um, people who might have to. Uh, find other 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 forms of work from all ranges i mean including journalism and obviously in, including the arts what what's your sense of the relief that's coming in now and and how much it might help keep artists hopefully going and, and until normal comes back fully well there are a couple of different things that are happening this has really struck me and i've only learned about this recently so we look at this pandemic and we look at what happened in the economy the economy tanked but then it came roaring back and it has been roaring back uh ever since the summer so that means if you're a larger institution you probably have big philanthropic donors who did really well in the stock market and a lot of them have turned around and they've given a lot of money to arts organizations and that has helped them immeasurably you also look at museums with big endowments those endowments are doing really well because the stock market is up that doesn't mean that that solves everything because a lot of those endowments are restricted in terms of what can be used for what but they're kind of whole right now. But then you have the individual artists who not only lost their jobs, and as I mentioned here in Massachusetts, it was about 68,000 jobs, more than $10,000 in personal income, but that's just the arts jobs. I, I think we talked at the beginning too about so many artists have what they call their safety or security jobs outside of the arts, jobs in retail, in restaurants, things that would allow them to have a flexible schedule so that they could do what they wanted to do in the arts. Of course, those jobs went away too. So then you have artists who I think who had to flee isn't the right word, but they had to step away. They had to make an income. And so they have to take careful steps back. As somebody recently corrected me because I, I kind of speculated that maybe some won't come back because it just became too precarious. But somebody pointed out to me, you know what, artists this is why they do it. This is why they worked so hard. This is why they took multiple jobs. This is why they didn't necessarily have the safety net because they love what they do. Uh, of course, it would be easier if we could support them, but I think they will come back. It's just not going to be easy, especially if they're not full-time employees and they're not getting pay tech protection benefits and some of the other things that have come by way of the government. You know, we we we've, we've talked in the past about my um, connection with magic and and a lot of friends that I have who are, are magic performers, and I, I've seen um, some of them have done you know Zoom shows where, where it's pay what you can, and uh, and even set up things like basically you can like a tip jar through 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 Venmo. So if you want to give them a little bit more, you can, and clearly that that's working because um, or at least it's working in in some cases. People are are, are willing to um, you know. 
put down that, that, that money for the art. Yeah, and I think that we're going to see digital to somewhat degree, to some degree stay. Uh, the Arts Boston survey, which I've been citing here, 59% uh, of their people said they watched online content. 31% said they paid for online content. That's pretty extraordinary. Uh, you're asking people who normally would go to the theater and, and love to have that exchange of being in a living, breathing space to suddenly just sit on sit at home and pull up their laptop or sit in front of their television and look at something that doesn't have the budget that the latest Netflix show has. Uh, but they realize that they're you're, you're supporting your peers. You're supporting people locally who are creating content, uh, especially if you're a subscriber and, and there's one theater you frequent you know who you're giving your money to. You know how hard they're trying at the end of the day. Again, I've not heard from anybody really that this is an economic viable, economically viable model, um, but it is helping. But it's also going to be that bridge component uh, between this time when we're only watching on our screens to when we get that comfort to go back into theaters. There are some people who, who will be reluctant and they will stay in that. That, that online space. I think some theater administrators and performing arts administrators and museums as well who've, who've curated these wonderful online virtual tours are also recognizing that this is a very democratic space. Uh, it's not always easy to get to your favorite theater or museum. It's not always, uh, you know, it can be expensive at times, especially if you're in the city and you need to come in, you need to park if you want to add dinner to it, it becomes a very expensive evening out. That doesn't happen if you're online. So it does make it much more accessible for all. So let, let's, uh, let's finish with some, um, some, some good stuff, with some of the things that you're, you're excited about. And, and again, stipulating that, that with thing, things are, are, are tough. We need to support the art and the artist for, for, for them to, uh, to make it through this. But uh, there, there, are, there are some things you're excited about on the horizon, right? Yeah, I look forward to how artists are going to tell these stories. It used to be, I think, that you would wait all, a while, and we will to some degree. You know, some of the major stories of this time probably won't come out for another 10 years. I think it, it took uh, Tony Kushner that long to write Angels in America after the AIDS crisis. There was a lot of processing, a lot of trauma, a lot of loss that had to be dealt with to create that piece. And of course, it was just epic. Uh, it's one of my personal favorite pieces of theater. I think it, ultimately it's going to take that amount of time to understand what we are just going through now and what we've just gone through for the last year in terms of loss. But I'm also I'm also heartened by the way people have come together. You know, you think about Shelby Rassler, the the Berkeley student who created that video, uh, "What the World Needs Now Is Love," and she got all of her Berkeley students together and they, in their individual rooms created music she sent it they sent it to her she edited it together i mean we, we just saw it coming together that i i don't think just evaporates after this i was also struck by what boston hope the medical center at the convention center did when they recognized that music and there are neurological studies that, that prove this that music is a healing regimen and they treated it as such with daily regimens daily doses of music as part of the therapy so I think as hard as this has been, there is so much that we have learned because there has been so much experimentation out of necessity that is going to be with us for a long time coming out of this. Jared, it's, it's always good to talk with you. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this is as is, is, is good as any. And, and now um, I've, I've got Burt Bacharach uh, going through my head. And that's a good thing. It feels like the song was written for this moment, right? It's the only thing that there's Jared, thank you.
Great to be with you. That's GBH's executive arts editor, Jared Bowen. Thanks for listening to In It Together, the podcast from GBH News in Boston. You can listen to the full show live Monday through Thursday on 89.7 FM if you're in the Boston area, or you can stream online at our website, wgbhnews.org. You can listen to full episodes there as well. Our show is produced by Amanda Beeland and Matt Baskin. Our technical director is Bill Piacitelli. All music written and produced by Elio DeLuca. See you Monday, and remember, we're all in this together.